Welcome to Bethel Brandon Sunday Message. Please head over to our website, BethelBrandon.ca, to figure out how we can best serve you. For those of you who have been joining us every week, we've been continuing on in um, a series on the book of John. And my hope is that, that as we go through it and we dig a little bit deeper, that that might somehow inspire you a little bit to dig a little deeper as you kind of get into the Word of God yourself. There's lots of interesting things that many times we don't realize if we just kind of uh, do the devotional, we read a little book, and we kind of think we're done for the day. I think that God wants us to go deeper. Amen? Amen. Amen. And as I was preparing, I began to, to um, ask myself questions. Sometimes you have more questions than answers. Is that not true? Like when we get to heaven, are there going to be questions that you're going to want to ask God? That's kind of an, an, interesting, an interesting thought, right? Hey, I, when I get to heaven, this is what I'm going to ask God. Or maybe it just based on experience. Or why didn't you do this? Or what, what, you know, it's tons of things I would imagine when we get to heaven. Here's what I think. I think that when we do get into heaven, we will probably be so enthralled by the presence of Jesus that we may forget all those questions, or they will become secondary, that the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Heaven is such a wonderful place, and Jesus, in coming during the Christmas seasons, coming as that sacrifice for our sin, Lord, all wraps around the fact that there is a place for eternity. Do not miss the opportunity for eternity. But there are some questions, especially when I read stories in the Bible. And this story in John chapter 5, verses 1 to 18, may be one of those stories where I have so many questions that I can't help but stop a couple of times as I'm reading the passage of Scripture. Now, it's about healing, and it's about mercy, and it's about fighting past the things that keep you from that healing. It's about someone who can't walk, but later on we find out that really it's about people who can't see. And it becomes the turning point in the book of John. First four chapters is talking and revealing who Jesus is, but all of a sudden there is a bit of a dark turn which takes place in John chapter 5, and I'm sure that you will be... Uh, be seeing this as you read along in the story. And as I ponder the story, there's a point in this conversation where Jesus says, rise, pick up your bed or pick up your mat and walk. And I wonder if in a spiritual sense, he asks the same of all of us today. So God, help us to figure this out. Speak to hearts in a real way, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you have your Bibles, open them up. And if you have your phones, that's how you read. I usually read on my Bible app, you know. I was just talking to someone and said, I can't remember the last time I've actually read from a physical Bible. I'm always kind of with my, with my app. It's interesting. Now, um, for those of you who have Bibles, you might have a red letter edition, which basically means that uh, the words of Jesus are in red. You will notice in the book of John chapter 5 that there's a lot of red at the second half of uh, John chapter 5. And so there's some important things that Jesus says amongst the most important things that Jesus says 
uh, are at that point, and it is the whole reason that John writes the book of John the way he does. But we're, it all stems from this story that happens in John chapter 5, verses 1 to 18. So let's just kind of read that, okay, if we could. It says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. Now is, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches, and these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. And whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? Sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, while, uh, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him, who, who, had, who was cured? It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they said to him, Who was the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? You can see the tension. But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn um, a multitude uh, had withdrawn a, a multitude be, being in, a multitude being in that place. Sorry. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said, "See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you." The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them and said, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jesus sought all the more to kill him because not only did he not only broke the Sabbath, but he said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Wow. Interesting passage of Scripture. It is, it is, it is one that, that I have pondered and, and tried to find something to, for us to bring home um, today. And I think that there are some huge things that are here that are important for you to know. But it doesn't come without a little bit of digging. But I think that there's some, there's some issues that, are, that really, really point out to me. Now, at this, this point, um, what's the best way to describe this? Um, Many times, if you're in, a bunch of, uh, in and amongst a bunch of people, they will have questions that will ask to kind of stir the conversation along. You ever been in those crowds, those conversations and that? One of the questions that they will often ask, I have found anyways, is this. Are you the type of person that would prefer to read the book or watch the movie? You ever had that question asked to you before? Are you the book reader or are you the movie watcher? Because there's a difference between the two. Because as you read, your brain will create the movie and will create the scenario in your head. And many times it can be more graphic and just kind of your emotions go along with it. Or you can watch. And when you watch, you actually are seeing the creation of something that is in somebody else's brain. Really, it's kind of the way, the way it works, doesn't it? 
Now, I have found that as I have read along, there's difficulty sometimes in scriptures or any stories that are ancient stories. And it's an ancient story. It's over 2,000 years old, is it not? That sometimes it's hard for me with a 2,023 brain to try and decipher and break down what is happening 2,000 years ago. Like they didn't have cars back then. They didn't have internet. They didn't have TV back then. You know, how, in, how indeed did they actually live? And some of the traditions and things that were happening. They, you know, some of them didn't even have water. It was very hard to live life back then and to understand things with a 2023 brain sometimes can be difficult. The other thing is this. As I read, and many times I believe as you read, you stop and you say, what's that all about? What's going on here? And this is the case with this particular story. That there's a lot of stop and I ponder and I wonder and I ask this question. And so I believe that you believe some of these, some of these things too. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to kind of unpack this passage of Scripture through the unanswered questions, or, or maybe the frequently asked questions. That's kind of the better way of saying it. It's kind of the more positive, you know, the frequent, you know, after, the, after you've read it, there's that kind of FAQ, frequently asked questions. So this is a frequently asked question sermon, if it were, okay? Now, to, to set the, the plate here, Jesus is back in Jerusalem. And if you remember in John chapter 4, he had just healed a man in Cana of Galilee, which is his kind of his, his, home, uh, his home turf, not too far from Capernaum, where he kind of set up his ministry headquarters. But now he's back in Jerusalem because there is a festival. And John, who usually is very detailed about these things, doesn't tell us which festival it is. It's just that there's another festival. And at that time, if you were a Jew, particularly in Judea, you were required to go to at least three of the festivals that they had. So we're unsure as to which one that it is. And so there are a number of questions. Let me start by this one. What exactly, if we have it on, on the slide here, what exactly is the pool of Bethesda? What was its purpose? If there's a pool in town, there's a public pool in town, you know, it's kind of the place where we take the kids when it's hot so that we can kind of go and, and the kids can kind of splash around in the pool. We can kind of talk to friends and neighbors, find out what's going on. I don't think, folks, that this was one of those type of pools. It had more to do with ceremonial cleaning. There was a type of pool at that particular time was called a mikvah. And before you entered into worship, you had to cleanse yourself. And this is one of the purposes of that pool. The other thing is this, is that it says it was the north part of the sea by the, the north, north part of the city by a place which is called the Sheep Gate. And so it very much may have been a place where they washed and they purified the sheep as well. There may have been other purpose for it or not. It doesn't really get into it, but that would probably be what it would be used for. Now, the word Bethesda means house of mercy. Beth, which means house and every time you read in Scripture, a place which is called, starts with the word Beth, it means house. We are called Bethel, right? El is short for Elohim, the house of God. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. It was the bread basket of that particular area. And so Beth has said means Bethsaida, the house of mercy, 
which is kind of interesting because I don't know if it looked like a place of mercy. It looked more like a place of misery. Now, it might interest you to know that this particular story is one of the stories that through centuries, skeptics said the book of John is not true. And one of the reasons that they said it was this. What about this pool of Bethesda? There is no such thing. Archaeologists have worked for years trying to find this pool of Bethesda, and it doesn't even exist. He's just making up names. And not only that, it describes this pool as a, school, as a, as a pool which has five porches around it. Now, these porches were covered so you could sit under them and you can get relief from the heat. And it says there is no, there is no pool at that particular time that had five sides. It's absolutely ridiculous until 1888 when archaeologists found this huge pool. Actually, it was two pools, one beside the other. One was a reservoir pool, and the other one was a pool that had many platforms so that you could walk into it for stuff like washing things and stuff like ceremonial washing. And there was a porch on all sides of them. And because there were two ones, there was one down the middle. Exactly five porches, as it said in the Word of God. Well, we're going to have to find another reason to prove that John wasn't legitimate, is what they went on to say. So that became something which was extremely interesting when you take a look at what the Pool of Bethesda was about. Now... Here's the other thing. When they began to uncover it, and they have not uncovered all of it, they found that there were other things. There was a church that was built on top of it to, around 400 uh, years later. And, and, um, and they found as well that, that as they were uncovering it, they couldn't uncover most of it because some was on property that we weren't going to allow them to excavate. But the size of the pool of Bethesda is probably equal to the size of a soccer field. It's the size of a soccer field. And so for many of us, that says, whoa, I thought this was just kind of a little pool where there's a few dozen people. No, this place was huge. And as you study about this particular pool of Bethesda, they said that in non-festival time, there probably was hundreds of people that gathered around there. But during festival times, there was thousands. It says that there was a great multitude that were there, right? Every other time that you hear in the New Testament about a great multitude, there's over 5,000 people. So it would be safe to assume that the time that Jesus is talking about it, there are thousands of people around this place. They found it about 100 feet from St. Anne's Church, for those of people who know uh, Jerusalem as well. So the next question that we are led to ask is this. What, what is it about the stirring of the water? Have you not asked that? There's something about this thought that it's kind of you're reading along. It says, well, yeah, there was an angel that kind of stirred it around. And every time they stirred it around, the first person in the water got healed. This is an interesting thing, is it not? Now, for those of you who read along with me, there were some versions that don't have verse 3 and 4 explaining this story. Did you realize that? 
that some of the original manuscripts, some of the oldest documents of the book of John don't have chap- or, sorry, verse 3 and half of verse 4 in it. Some of them do. Now, you would still know something about the story because in verse 7, the man says, listen, you know, Nobody will pick me up so that when the water is stirred that I can get in. So you can see that there was something about that particular story. What is it that is about this? Can you figure this out? What is this all about? As I studied it, there are three or four logical things that people think. One was that before the Jewish times and in the the quiet area before Malachi and, and Jesus, the place was was owned by the Greeks, the Hellenistic period. And at that particular time, there was a Greek cult and a pagan god whose name was Ascalon, who was the the god of healing at that time. And they set up a bunch of pools throughout the areas that were healing pools. And somehow this, this tale may have kind of come out of that story. Other people think that perhaps it was a Jewish legend or even an urban lesson. And that um, this, this pool, which was watered, many people thought that you know, what happened was the, north, the northern reservoir often fed the southern reservoir so that you could switch the water around and water could go from one to the other and that, that current caused the stirring of the water. Either or that, that, but the pool of Bethesda was actually fed by an artesian well. And so as fresh water came in, it bubbled up. The stirring of the water and that and that because of this there was some type of a legend that said the first person in the pool you get healed which seems a little bit strange to me because it basically was kind of like the 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 most healthy sick person got healed and there are a lot of people who think you know what i think there's something to this you take a look at the word of god the times that jesus healed people it was unique God is not limited on how he heals and how he works. So there are many people that think there was something to this. There wouldn't be so many people around the pool if there wasn't something to this particular, to this particular thought. And stop and consider this. Whatever was taking place, there were a lot of desperate people who had no hope. And they were sitting right next to that pool continuously because there is no other answer for them. Could you imagine, folks, that if, that if in today such a pool existed, how many people would be around it? In our sophisticated day where we have all the science to be able to heal most of the things that we do, there are still times where you say, I'm sorry, sir, I'm sorry, man, there's no hope for you. If there was a pool that existed today, I would say it would be just as jam-packed. That many of the people who are in the pool stood just inches away from that pool waiting for something to happen. Whether it was legitimate, whether it was a myth, I don't know if we'll ever be able to find that, of course, until we get to heaven. All I know is that many times it seemed like Jesus healed by water. He healed by pools. He healed a guy at the pool of Siloam, another pool in, in town. He says in the last chapter that he is, the, he is the living water. So I just think it's interesting. The other thing is this. What was it? If we have the next slide there. What was it that Jesus 
what did they see in this guy? I could even ask, what is it in some of the things that he says to this individual? Because some of the things that he says are extremely interesting, don't you think? Now, it says in the verse that he saw him. The Greek word, or the, the, uh, the word that was actually used there, talked about seeing people in a way that they perceive something more than what perhaps you regularly see in another individual. And now that you are understanding the fact that it's not just a few dozen people around this pool, that there were literally thousands of people around this big reservoir. It's that kind of ask you, what is it? What is it that caused Jesus to go to this individual over all the other individuals? Why isn't it that Jesus didn't heal all of those individuals? Maybe a question that you ask yourself. And it's a question that I'm not too sure exactly why he did. But there's something in Jesus that saw mercy in this individual. There was something about the perception in the eyes of Jesus, working in tandem with the Holy Spirit, that saw something in this individual. And there's something about having mercy. And mercy begins with how you see people. And the question we are left to ask ourselves is, what is the lens that you see people with around you? Jesus had perceptive eyes. He was able to see, despite the fact that perhaps the whole story wasn't told by what you saw. There are certain times where you'll walk around and you will see something and God will reveal to you as you take a look at that person that maybe other people don't see. Have you ever had that happen to you? To have perceptive eyes. But the problem is, there are other eyes that compete with that, isn't there? There are preoccupied eyes. What are preoccupied eyes? Well, preoccupied eyes are, are things that might be able to see something, but we are so busy and we are so inundated with our schedules and all the things that we have to go to that we really don't have time to take with a look, with a look of mercy. Well, I've got this thing. I, I have that. I have to do my schedule, and I've got to get things done at work. And after that, I have to pick up my child because I have to change and, and, and get my child to uh, basketball practice or volleyball practice. And, of course, they actually have to learn uh, cheerleading and dance, and, and I have to get them to that meeting because then they're learning how to play the tuba. And, uh, and now they're learning how to speak Swahili because we're going to Africa later. So, and that's just one of our children. We have 17. Many times we look with preoccupied eyes. We're just so busy. Or we look with painful eyes. And by that, I mean there are so many things that we are going through. There's so many burdens that we are carrying that our eyes are so heavily steeped on what we're going through that we never have the opportunity to see the pain that other people are going through. Or maybe they're pious eyes. The eyes that perhaps see ourselves at a greater level than someone else. They're the eyes that when Jesus sees two people at the altar and he sees the tax collector pounding his chest and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the other person, the Pharisee, saying, God, I'm so glad I'm not like that wretched, that wretched tax collector. To look at eyes where we see ourselves higher and better than other people. Or how about political eyes? 
political eyes are where we see people and we will help people, but we will see people and we will only help people if they can somehow down the road benefit us. We always take a look at people with the thought of what is in it for me? How can I be advanced by this particular individual? But God calls us. Jesus never had eyesight like that. He was able to see with the perception of mercy. And so he comes to this individual, and he has what I would think would be a crazy question. Do you want to be healed? Now think about this. You have been lame for 38 years. Now, chances are he was not born. Usually in Scripture, if a person was born that way, it tells you. It says he was lame for 38 years, so he is older than 38 years old. But that's a pretty long time. And it seems like such a crazy question to me until I realize that he did not answer yes. Did you realize that? He didn't say, yeah, I do. What did he do? He gave an excuse. Nobody's here to throw me in the water. The reason I'm not healed is because somebody else is not doing their job. And that kind of opens up a huge amount of questions, do you not think? Like, it is a crazy question, but it's a curious question. It's a contemplation question. Do we really want healing? Well, I do, but I want it my way. It would require me to change. What is the excuse? What is the expense? Oh, now if I get healed, then I'm going to be responsible for this, and people are not going to pay attention to me, and I'm not going to get the assistance, and I'm not going to get the pity of people. I'm no longer going to get a free ride. Do you really want to be healed is the question that is asked before us. Because sometimes it's easier to live with the excuse than to walk in the healing. And sometimes it's easier to nurse the grudge than to pursue forgiveness and healing. And sometimes it's easier to believe that you are the exception to God's power. Well, that all works for everyone else, but it doesn't work for me. And sometimes it's more convenient to blame others and play the handicap card than to take up your bed and walk away. How do we answer God when he asks you if you want to be healed? Powerful stuff, isn't it? There's one other thing that Jesus said. I'll just kind of mention it briefly. In verse 14, he sees him later on in the tabernacle, and he makes this comment. If you have, if, if you have been, um, you've been made well, sin no more, lest, lest something worse come upon you. That's something that caused me to stop and, and, and ponder things a little bit. What exactly does he mean there? Well, that's pretty hard. You know, I have been lame for 38 years. What worse could happen to me? What was Jesus talking about? Some people have, have set doctrines on that particular passage of Scripture when it's only seen alone and isolated. Well, I, I'm not too sure exactly to what extreme it was. All I know is this, is that nothing cripples us faster than sin. And sin has eternal repercussions. You can be healed and enjoy a healing. You know, after being lame for 38 years... And continue on in a sinful life and never give your life to God and you'll be in a lost eternity far worse than anything of not walking for 38 years could be. So it's interesting. Those are such interesting questions of the things that Jesus has said and what he saw of this individual. But I will tell you right now, 
that the biggest unanswered question is the response of the Pharisees. Would it not be? Now, consider this story, if you do. If this miracle had happened on any other day of the week than this day, if it was on any other day than a Sabbath day, what would their response have been? Wow, this is fantastic. This is the most incredible thing that I have ever seen in my life. But instead, it happens on the Sabbath. And they say this. They become oblivious to this huge miracle and say, what are you doing carrying your mat? What are you doing carrying your bed? Do you not realize that that is unlawful? Well, you know, I could not walk for 38 years. I don't care about that. It's Sabbath time. You don't do anything, including walking your mat. Who, who is responsible for this? Is that not the craziest response to you? Did you, you not read that and say, what is going on here? There was something which is so deep and embedded into the life of the Jewish uh, authorities that time that saw, that saw that, that they missed huge, the miracle that was happening. Now, if somebody has not been walking for 38 years, I would imagine there would be very little muscle there. Would there not? If you haven't been walking, just, hey, go six months without walking and then kind of get up and walk around. You can't do it. When people are sick for that long, they got to go into therapy to learn how to walk again, to learn how to do all those things all over again. 38 years, I am pretty sure that that would be something. Not only that, the thought of the brain message which goes from the brain to the, to the leg muscles and say, hey, get working, get going. Well, I don't know if those receptors would even be there at that particular time. I'm not a doctor. I'm just saying that this is a huge miracle. This is not as, oh, you're sick, be healed. Oh, my back is sore. Okay, we'll get up your heels. Not that. Is it? It is something which is absolutely in the toppest forms of the miraculous that you would see. And they were so enamored with their law that they did not see the sensation because of the regulation. They didn't see the huge miracle that happened because they were so focused on keeping the law. So the miracle was about not being able to walk, but the issue really about this story was not being able to see. Can I just tell you something? That during the worship, I come up and I kind of take over, and what I do is I take this table and I lift it up and I put it here. Well, according to the Pharisaical law, I would have broken, I would have broken the, the Sabbath by doing that. Because this weighs more than five figs or whatever the weight amount it is. I think that it was the equivalent of five figs or something to that effect. That if I was actually there at that particular time telling this story... You know, when I, when I would have picked up the table and turned it, the whole place would have gasped. <gasps> and see, according to the, the Pharisaical law, Jesus said, for your goodness and for your pleasure, I want to create a time where you don't work. 
And so what they said is, well, what is work? And they created all these 39 laws saying, you can't do this and you can't do that. And there's no way that you could enjoy it. And so this was the situation that was taking place and happening. And from that point on, they were so focused on the law. They're so focused on rules they had made up about serving God that they actually didn't see God. And it says that they persecuted him. And if you take a look at the original language, it, the verb says this, that they continually, continually, obsessively persecuted him. And that was the start of the change. So what do we, what do you take from this today? Well, I think you take this, that the God that you serve can heal. And it doesn't matter. It can be the most difficult situation. It can be the most difficult story that you are a part of. It may be in the most difficult scenario, location, whatever. There's a God who has mercy that desires to heal today. Isn't that true? Can you tell me that passage of scripture where it says um, that God helps those who help themselves? Can you tell me what scripture is? Well, you won't, because it's not in the scripture. We read it like it's scripture, but it's not in the scripture at all. It was, it was a statement that was made by one of the early American fathers, George Washington, uh, Benjamin Franklin. One of those guys said that. The truth is this, that God helps those who can't help themselves. And the thing is this, many of us are in situations, whether it is dire or whether it is not so dire, where we can't help ourselves, where we are hopeless and helpless without God. And there is a God who desires to work and to heal into our lives. And so I continually come and I continually say, God, on my own, I can't do anything. I need to trust in you to heal me. And the other amazing thing is that in the midst of all of the blindness, God still works. We see that the Pharisees were blind. But the, uh, the lame man originally could not be healed because he couldn't see past the tradition of the world of his time, could he? Do you want to be healed? Hey, you know what? I'm trusting in this angel who stirs the water. Well, you can trust in an angel who stirs the water, or whatever it is, or you can trust in God. You have to choose which one. And so you, had, you have people who were trying to trust in a worldly system, and it left them empty. And there are people who are trying to trust in a religious system, and it also left them equally empty. And in the midst of this, I believe with all of my heart, and I know through the word of God, that he's a God of mercy. He's a God who heals. And the question I have for you today, and for many of us who sit, and those of you who are watching online, is God telling you today to pick up your mat, and walk. What's your response? So Father, I just pray that you will move in a powerful way today. This question has, this, this passage has so many 
questions that perhaps when we get to heaven, we will be able to figure out some of the things which were going on. But ultimately, the truth remains that there's a God who sees us in the midst of the crowd, in the midst of thousands of people. He sees us, and he desires to heal. He desires to work. And, and you might be here, and you may feel like that person in the midst of a whole bunch of sick people kind of waiting for something to take place. God is here for you and God desires to work and heal and minister into your heart. And so my prayer is that you will take whatever step it is, throw off whatever excuse is there, throw off whatever hardship is there and say, God, in your name, I want to rise up and welcome. I want to get over this difficulty. I want to get over this this healing point in my life. I want you to move in my life. I want you to work. I want you to do great things through me. I want to actually come to know you as Savior. It might be the, the, the first step that you take. So God, I pray that you will be with each and every person who is here today, God, wherever they're at, whatever they're going through. And I don't know, and I have the confidence that you do and that you're working on hearts today seeking to heal and to work and to deliver and to move in a powerful way. And I ask God that you will do it. In Jesus' name, amen. If we could stand at this time, I'm going to have uh, Pastor Glenn uh, close in a song. If you want to just sit and, and, and sit in the presence of God, you're welcome to do that. You might be here and you might need healing of some kind. Hey, let's pray together. Let's pray that God will move. If, you know, maybe you just say, I just kind of want to find a section by myself to pray. Whatever. May the blessing of God be upon you. May the blessing of God be upon Bethel Christian Assembly and those who attend and the families. And may your hand move. And everyone, whether they're watching online, whether they're here in person, God, you need to begin to move in a powerful way in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please head over to BethelBrandon.ca to listen to our older messages or maybe connect with us and figure out how we can best serve you. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.